All right, we're back. I'm here with my dear soul brother of 25 years, Jeffrey Marshall, and we're going to have a conversation about how he found the one, believe it or not. <laughs> Can you even believe I'm saying it out loud? Yeah. That's so wild even just to say it. Yeah, it feels weird to hear it. It really yeah, does. Right? Yeah. So, you know, we've had a lot of history, um, 25 years, as I said, many, many stories. Uh, did anyone come to mind right out of the gates? <laughs> it just popped right up in your head, yeah, about you and I. I don't know if this is a family show. <laughs> it is a family show, so that, that that tells you a lot about our friendship, actually. We don't really have a lot of stories to share. <laughs> but why don't you uh, start us off with just giving us a little background. You know, you're a musician, you're an artist, you're a writer, you're an actor, you're a producer, a director, you've done it all, you're a creator. Yeah, I think you said it better than I could have probably articulated it myself. My claim to fame is in music. I'm a multi-instrumentalist. I play guitar and bass guitar and keyboards, and I'm a singer and songwriter and all those things. But I went to school for filmmaking. I was born in Maryland in 1972. I was born severely disabled. At age six weeks, I was adopted by Caucasian people. I am African-American, even though I hate to use the word African-American personally. So yeah, I was raised biracially. Is that what they call that? Biracial? I don't know. I don't when, know. You're, when you're raised, you know, by another race? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, just, I just made that up. Maybe it's very in, politically incorrect. <laughs> I don't know who's going to cancel me after saying that. <laughs> I guess when I became a teenager, I, I discovered my passion and my talent for music and began playing the bass guitar and guitar and became a singer songwriter but i went to school for filmmaking and for many years i had that passion dormant until about 10 years or so i went back to film school and uh, started making films again that was cool and you took right off with it i mean when you went back it just was like it was always there again I think you went off to Thailand and you built some technology for yourself to have cameras on your head, right? You yes. fill us in on that? Yes, because of my disability, I don't have arms or whatever conventionally and, or just don't have them. And so at the time, this is before GoPro and stuff like that and all these contraptions that are much more available for people. So basically, I had a camera. I found a high-end POV point-of-view camera, like the most expensive one that you could buy. And I got a skateboard helmet and I attached that camera to my helmet and went out to Thailand to make a documentary film. That's so awesome. And, you know, now that you say you have no arms, it begs the question how you play the bass. Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't play it with arms. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very lucky to be blessed with amazing toes and amazing skill behind those toes. So that is my approach to music making wow it's so cool every time even now after all this time i still get like, I, I think it's still cool but i know it yeah and who taught you how to play the guitar i mean how'd that even get started i believe my teenage libido taught me how to play <laughs> you guitar. Like, this is gonna get me girls <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> like that's what happened it was that's awesome no inspiration story there was no teacher that's going to win an oscar for playing my teacher in a movie you know that teach me to play you know there's no i don't know it was girls it was 
Yeah, as good a motivation as any. Cannot play basketball. <laughs> so <laughs> need to do something. Got it. Well, that also shows that you were obviously pretty well adjusted being raised by the family you were and to have the chutzpah to jump right in and be a rock star at a young age. Yeah, I believe that I was very fortunate to be raised the way that I was raised because in my situation, I think that the latter being raised completely in a dysfunctional environment that didn't encourage a self-expression and just confidence would have been my lot in life. And it wasn't. And so I feel very fortunate to be able to not just live in that, but also to use that as an investment for my, the rest of my life. Yeah. I mean, I'd wish that on anyone. You know, I wish it on my own sons. And tell us about your parents on that. I mean, not a lot of people sign up for taking on someone with no arms have a different culture or whatever and everything, right? Especially back in like the early 70s, yeah. It's interesting because my family, my parents, they didn't live in a shoe with a bunch of handicapped people that they didn't know what to do. Right? You kind of have that image, like some Richard Scarry book, you know? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But no, they were very middle class. They never adopted anybody else other than me. You know, they didn't have any other handicapped, disabled. You know, I had three sisters and none of them were disabled at all. And they were adopted or they were? No, no, they weren't. No, I was the only person adopted. And so it's really interesting why my family, my parents took that leap. But they did. And it's pretty awesome. And now you got this uh, really bright soul in front of me right now. So then you had a typical high school you know, upbringing, so to speak, then? is that When I was young, or when I was growing up in, in first in school through first grade, to third grade, I was in public school, you know, and I was in the typical public school and special ed school, right? And so in my particular school, they started mainstreaming at the time that I was in school, they started mainstreaming disabled kids and they, you know, they take one or two classes with the the abled body. And I think I was part of that pilot program in the school. And once I started mainstreaming, then my parents took me out of public school and put me in private school. I think they were initially afraid that I wouldn't be able to be able to adjust well. So when I went to private school, I was the only disabled person in the whole school. Yeah, talk about not adjust well. I mean, now you don't even have that program anymore. It's like, it's just you and all these private school people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was like, yeah, I was the program. I spent the majority of time in private school until I got to about high school. And then, you know, it's a religious private school. And uh, I got kicked out because I was living in a much more secular life <laughs> than the school. It's like smoking pot at this time. Something, something yeah, like I was that. smoking yeah. pot and trying to fornicate with girls and all the things that... High schoolers yeah, trying I mean, to think about doing it. They thought I was do. a devil. Yeah, they thought I was a devil. And I, and I, I wasn't really arguing. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, you wore the badge. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then I went to public school, which was great from going from private school and then going to uh, to public school, it, right. you know, it felt like... Right. It's like, it feels like uh, 50210 or something like that or, you know, or whatever that is, right? Yeah, it feels like, boom, the whole world opened up. It felt like it was... I lived in Eastern Germany and then I made a, uh, a hot air balloon. Yeah, I just <laughs> floated over to the locker room heaven. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was great because being in Nashville, Tennessee is where I went. You know, when I went to public school, it was the only school at the time that had a complete 24-track studio and, you know, it's Music City. So it really was a great time to really nurture my talent and discover who I am as a musician. Badass. And so then you went out into the world. What did that look like? Like when you were like, I'm leaving home, I'm going to go do my thing. Because that's the person I've known forever, right? Yeah. So this is fun to revisit this even for myself. But what did leaving the nest look like for you? 
it's interesting because, you know, by the time that I got kicked out of private school and, you know, was going to public school, you know, I was, as you would say, a, I don't know, maybe a difficult child, rebellious. And so I ended up dropping out of school two weeks before my graduation. That's so like you. God, that doesn't surprise me at all. Uh-huh. And so, you know, and my, of course my parents were really not happy with that. I mean, I was just being rebellious. But that wasn't the following fall, but the following winter of that next year, I don't know, I took my SATs or whatever, and I don't remember exactly how, but I ended up getting a, a full grant scholarship to go to university. So, you know, I was kind of like, F you to the system anyway. I don't need this high school, whatever. So, but that was kind of my way to get out of my parents' house, get a full scholarship to go to school. And so I had the incentive to get out. Get out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> By getting back in. That's how I, I ended up getting out. And, you know, and once I went out and was in school, I never moved back home again. I never, you know, I was one of those people that once I became a man, became a man, never asked my parents for anything, never, you know, just was on my own at that point. Yeah, we share that in common. That's kind of how it worked out for me too. And Michelle even, for a similar thing as you, you know, realized she could just jump out of the system early, get her SAT, go to college early and beat the system. And, and it was, that's groovy. Yeah. So now you were here celebrating your birthday. We did. We just celebrated my 48th birthday. I don't remember any of it. No, I don't remember <laughs> it. I, I feel like since I've been here, it's been like a couple of days, I feel like I still been celebrating my yeah. birthday. Yeah. It's been good. Yeah, that's why I'm drinking water and tea all day today. <laughs> so you're, we just found out you're a couple months older than me. You're yes. like my big brother. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I never think of it that way, right? You just, you just, we just found out just now. I just found out just now, yeah. even though I know your birthday is what, literally right three, months, yeah. three months away from mine. But I never look at myself as your big brother. I never do. I never do. I never, it's it's that weird. Was a weird, interesting little, yeah. We've been backing each other for many, many years and in many different situations. We've spent time in LA and New York City and in Prague and, you know, Denver and I mean, here, Florida. And so, I mean, we've gotten to, you know, share moments, you know, in time that not many do in many different places, you know, that allow us a little bit more coverage uh, and seasoning for our friendship, which has been a delight. And not only that, it's like I am not just family to you, but I'm family to all of your family. Yeah, you know, exactly. Your family. Yeah. I know your I know your sister, I know your nephew, I know your mom, I know your you know your sons and your baby. I mama. met you through my ex wife, yes, yeah, exactly. my baby mama. Yeah. <laughs> You're going there next, I think. Um um we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, we'll leave that one alone. All right. So uh <laughs> So tell me about your dating life then for a while. I mean, because we're we, you know, we are on a, on a relationship show, and I mean, not really relationships, but we're really kind of tackling you know um, you know just some of the complexities of being human and cooperating in our humanness with other people, particularly the opposite sex, or particularly our our mate of choice, right? And so, we're you know for me, it's always been kind of how do we remove obstacles from our life in order to get more of what we deserve, you know, as a human. I'm a big believer that peace of mind is, is some of that and love and, you know, other typical beautiful traits of being human you know, should be shared and explored. And if there's anything getting in the way of it, it's a mixed message in some way. And we kind of remove it. You sent out a shit ton of mixed messages in your early years while you were dating, right? I mean, because that was part of the mission, right? Like, you know, you weren't really a, the committal type. I think that a lot of people in my position, you know, people with disabilities, they are considered 
asexual or not sexual human beings are not even thought about. Able-bodied people think of that about them, and then also they think of that about themselves. And I wanted to have sex for all the disabled people that never had sex or never would have sex. I tried to have sex for all of them. That's so that's so big of you. Yeah, so no, I mean, you're it's, such a it's, giver. It's, you know, <laughs> I believe I'm like the handicapped sexual Mother Teresa. <laughs> really, you know, like a Gandhi, if you will. <laughs> Gandhi meets Ron Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. In a wheelchair. In a wheelchair. <laughs> you know, it's crazy because I think, you know, in my dating life, I think that there was women that, that didn't want to date me because I was in a wheelchair or disabled, or they maybe did. But I still had sex with all of them, you know? So, so, I mean, so it was like, oh, you don't want to date me because I'm in a wheelchair. Well, you know, you can still perform oral sex on me. There's all kinds of curiosity sexually with you, but they weren't going to take you home for Thanksgiving dinner yet, just yet. Exactly, you know, and Uh, a lot of of women. So you you met a lot of women like that at first, right? They were like, wow, you know, where other people even probably were like, you know, those people don't have sex, kind of like what you're saying. And certainly able-bodied, beautiful women don't have sex with people who don't have arms or whatever, right? And then you just completely blew that myth out of the water, which is pretty awesome, right? And just for everybody's experience, just to, you know, kind of, you know, be real and, and get in the moment with people, you know, uh, outside of all of these perceptions of, you know, I don't know, I don't even know how to speak to it, but it's you did it, yeah. I mean, like I said, and that's probably... You know, what was the... So commitment wasn't typically on the table, though, but sex was. Just to also confirm that, right? There was like, in the early days, there was like a lot of sex on the table, but not a lot of people who were, Jeffrey, can we get yeah, committed? I, was, I mean, there was people that were committed, but then again, if somebody was committed or wanted to be committed, I was more turned off by that than probably than I would be. Because, you know, I think that it was more of a situation is... I'm a beautiful woman, able-bodied beautiful woman. I can't believe this black guy with no arms just broke my heart, you know? Right, right, And right. now I was having sex with uh-huh. my friend. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm right, So, right. you know, but I always wanted to be, I was never like this person that just was trying to put numbers, you know? I wanted to be a committed person, you know? And I was a musician, you know? I was, I was there to write love songs. I was there, as much as I broke hearts, I got my heart broken, you know? And so, so I was never just kind of, you know, one of those people that just was trying to put up numbers, you know, like, oh, I'm just trying to go through and trying to sleep with whoever I could sleep with, even though, you know, not having arms, I had to do something when you can't even masturbate. You have to just <laughs> That's so creative to think so, about so, that. Yeah. yeah. You got know, to figure it out. So, <laughs> yeah, you you know, you got to be pretty charming. <laughs> <laughs> Which you are. So that's worked out. Hey, you had soul in it. You, you were, you know, you were still, yeah, I mean, you were like, again, like well-adjusted, being educated, living a normal life for all, a neurotypical life for all intents and purposes, dating and having sex and enjoying yourself and being creative and, you know, exploring life and writing songs about it and, and writing your story. Absolutely. And then you found yourself on stage for the first time. How did that show up? Like really on stage, like really performing for other people. And it was kind of, like I said, all kind of the women in dating. So I was living in Nashville and I was going to college and and this was like my second show, but really it was kind of my first show because it really changed the whole trajectory of my life. So I was in Tennessee and I got asked to go to a concert. It was called the Horde Festival, which was kind of like Lollapalooza back in the 90s and a bunch of bands. I remember, yeah. And so to make a long story short, I go to this show and I get backstage and I meet John Popper of Blues Traveler. To, like I said, not to make it condense it a, a bit, he asked me to come on stage and perform with him, 
Blue Traveler, Widespread Panic, uh, Dave Matthews Band. They're all on stage. It was a it was a big finale of the show. It was the last last show of the tour, so everybody got on stage and played the big finale with everybody. Boom. <laughs> yeah. How does that happen? And so yeah, I was I was never to this point. I've never been more terrified in my life. There was like you know twenty twenty thousand people. You know, I'm on stage and you know, and so I look out and see all these people and and I played and, and all, you know people that were some of the best musicians in the world. And I get back, I get off stage and all the record executives and all the roadies were there and they all gave me a standing ovation and all these girls were kissing on me. And then like, and I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> this, this is a formula. I have just solved an equation. Oh, so few people get to have that experience so early on in their life. And I don't think that maybe I might have not had that if it wasn't for my disability. I mean, I had to get up on stage and not suck. You know, I had to really, you know, and yeah. people trusted me just by the look in my eye that I, I wasn't going to suck. Yeah. Yeah. And so, because I would have never, if I was playing on the stage. Can you imagine if like the blue would have just went, <laughs> <laughs> like he's not even playing that bass. <laughs> if I, I played many shows. If I was playing a show and I saw somebody in the audience that looked exactly like me and came to me and said, hey, I want to play on the stage. I'm like you're not gonna you're not, you're not gonna embarrass me. <laughs> and so then you went on. You played with other people like Limp Biscuit and Ezra. I knew Limp Biscuit from in the whole corn. You know, I never played with them, but I I grew up and knew that environment. But you know, growing up in Nashville, and plus that was being my second concert. It was always music was never like a dream in the sense of what it is to most people when you grow up and and you know, rock stars all around you and, and it's a career path. And so, you know, so I was always a saturated. And another reason why I think that I I grew up in an environment that nobody cared whether I played with my feet, whether I was disabled or whatever. I grew up in an environment is you gotta be good or you gotta get it off the stage. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah, and, yeah. And, and so so that all was very motivating and very uh, not even motivating, but it was the nucleus around my desire of playing, not just, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be good for playing with my feet. I wanted to be better than you playing with your hands. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get it. Yeah. That's a great way to you know, tackle on any kind of learning, right? You know, like trying to look for some outcome of can't wait till I have my own poster out there on someone's wall, right? You're literally grinding, learning the music and playing music and learning other styles of music and learning what you can do with, you know, with your feet. You know, the biggest compliment that I have gotten in my life is when I see somebody that plays with their hands and they see me play and they have that deflated look on their face. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that would be quite satisfying. <laughs> I mean, you yeah. know, they just like, they come up to me, man, I'm just going to stop playing. Yeah, maybe you should. Give me your guitar. Right. Just, you know, take it. <laughs> and your girlfriend. <laughs> your girlfriend. <laughs> take it at all. So then you've traveled around the world. You've had your own band, Super Cool, Daniel and you and, and a crew put together a pretty awesome, uh, memorable body of work. What was that like? How did that come about? You know, it was very organic. I was living in, in the States, and um, I was at a party, and it was a party with a bunch of international people that happened to be at this party. And I was really taken back at this. It was, you know, I didn't know these people, so it was like new friends. I went to this party, and these people were there. I didn't know anybody. And all these people were just travelers. They were world travelers. They're like, oh, I just got back from this place, or I just got back from this place, or I live here, or I'm traveling here. And I was like, wow, I want that to be my life. And so at this party, they took out a map of the world, and I closed my eyes, and I put my toe on the map, and picked it up, and it said Prague. And so within, 
a few months, I don't know, maybe three, four months, five months, I was in Prague. I, I remember that, and I remember you leaving, and, and I think you know, Bain even went with you in the beginning or something, but or you went with some, maybe yeah. not. Yeah, yeah no, um, Bain ended up coming, I was living there for maybe a year or two, and then, and then people started coming. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people had come through. One of the most beautiful cities in the world, yeah. by the way. I love, I love Prague so much, and it was so bold of you, so you were over there like for seven years. Eight years, yes, I was there for eight years, and then why I was there, you know, how I started Super Cool is that it was a situation that I was playing in a band and the guitar player was playing in a band and we hated the lead singer. So we decided to kick him out and then start our own band. And so it started super cool and we did our thing for many years and I, and I always feel, I always am proud about the work, the body of work that we put out. And now being an international, you know, lifestyle, or if you will, and being able to live in different countries comfortably, bounce to, you know, Thailand if you want to, and we'll get into that more, and back into the States, and from the West Coast to the East Coast to all of it, you know, that really doesn't lend itself to a monogamous relationship, would it? I mean, you know, from Prague on, I mean, how many long-term girlfriends would you say you had that, you know, were willing to be that kind of long distance or, or go on the road and have that kind of experience? That's not easy for anyone of any capacity, right? So, And I think for a long time I had, let's say, would you call it modern relationships, modern day relationships, or maybe not modern, maybe not modern day is the way I want to put it, but... It's like about dating, so to speak, you know, like not committing, but... Very, <laughs> very eccentric, maybe, relationships, you know, not the conventional relationships. And, you know, and for a long time, when I would have a conventional relationship, it wouldn't work. And I was one of those people that... I wasn't a cheater, but I would be honest to say, hey, I'm not, I mean, because I believe cheating is when you lie to somebody, you know, but if you say, I'm not going to be able to be monogamous, I'm just not. But then you date somebody and you say that, but then, you know, when this time goes on, they try to maybe, it turns, they try to make it and then there comes to be a, a reckoning, you know, <laughs> yeah, you get, yeah, you get to a crossroads. And so, you know, I was dating people that were already in relationships and that, you know, it was, it was, and looking back on it, I, I. I don't regret it, but I see how, in some ways, how unfulfilling I was. I was being in relationships that I necessarily didn't feel I deserved, and deserved in, in a good way and also in a bad way, you know? Worthiness is always a big issue, and we were just talking about that in our last Trust episode. Yeah, so worthy, or deserve, is that, was worthy another fair word for that? And so even when I would be in a good relationship with a really good woman, I would, I would sabotage it just because I would feel that I'm undeserving of that. And then I would run to the woman that, um, you know, that has a husband and be with her because that felt like, oh, I'm worthy of this kind of relationship. And that took me a while to, I mean, maybe it took me my, my wife, you know, for me to, to realize that. And that was more of like a James Dean Revel thing more than anything, right? I mean, that's like you kind of just, like me, I grew up with like James Dean on the wall and kind of this, you know, Absolutely. pouting soul yeah, kind of yeah, thing, yeah. right? Yes. You know what I mean? I think it's more about that than anything else, right? Yeah, I think I was more, in, in a sense, more in love with the material that I would come up with from heartbreak and relationships and maybe the, the relationship itself, you know? If I listen back to the music, I'm like, wow, I wrote some really, really, really great, great, I don't even remember <laughs> who, stuff. who the girl I was, that, who, who she was that I wrote it about, but the song is great, you know? Unless I put the name of the girl in the song, I don't remember the girl. It is that tortured, you know, tortured soul and, and, and things like that. Yeah, you know, my mentors were not, I mean, yeah, they were the, like James Dean or... 
Marlon Brando or like for me anyway. Or, or Sid like, Vicious. Sid you know? Vicious, exactly. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, well, just... I'm gonna I'm gonna get a girl so I can stab her one day <laughs> yeah, in, a, right. in, a, in a in a drugged uh, fog. You know, <laughs> we're gonna be famous. Yeah. You know, that's kind of an interesting topic there, right? About self image. That's a, that's really our self image, and it's often different than what other people see of us. Absolutely. I'm constantly trying to reconcile my self image with how other people see me. Right? I think with you, we even talk about it a lot, right? Yeah. Like, what do you mean you think that way yourself, right? Or both of us, you know, but having that self-image, did you fall into any kind of like, you know, place where it just, you realize that wasn't satisfying anymore? Or what was like the pivot point for you that you kind of said, hmm, maybe I'm going to go deeper or explore something more meaningful? During that time, that space, I was in a relationship with a, with a married woman and I was madly, madly in love with her. And the husband knew it was it was not more of an affair i guess is is that entangled yeah exactly and so but for a long time you know and then i would be with this woman and then i would also you know but i wasn't with her and so and then i would get frustrated that she when she would go with her husband i would find another woman right or you know be with other women and then a lot of those women were really great women you know a few of those women were great women and so then i would start a relationship with them but then I couldn't start a relationship with them because I would still inevitably, she would come and call or whatever, and it would just mess up whatever relationship, the healthy relationship I was in. And I was more in love with the unhealthy relationship. And this went on for many, many years. And even I would, I would move, you know, to another country or she would move, but we still would, you know, we'd rendezvous and have this passion and it was crazy. And then, and then it would be the times that we were away and it was just always dramatic. And then, you know, one day, Actually, I'll, I'll, I remember, you know, I had tried to kind of wean myself off from her, but it was like drugs. It's like drugs. I still try to come back. I still end up coming back or she would end up coming back. And I hadn't talked to her for, I don't know, like a month or two, you know, but thought about her every day. And it was hard. It was like quitting smoking That's every day. That's what I was thinking when you just said it. You yeah. know, like yeah. when, when, you're, when people are blowing smoke in your face, right? <laughs> you, you work in a smoke factory, you know? And I don't know, I called her just in, in this feeling of, of just, I don't know, I don't know what I was feeling, but I called her because I needed to talk to her. And she answered the phone. And as soon as I heard her voice, I knew that she was pregnant just before she said anything. But when I talked to her and she said, hello, like, you're, you're pregnant, aren't you? And I knew it wasn't mine because I had been that, you know, I had, I knew it wasn't mine. You know, it just been that point where I knew that it wasn't mine. I hadn't seen her from, or been with her at that point. And I knew and then when I knew that she was pregnant, I knew at that point that I deserved better. And I couldn't be, I wasn't going to chase her around when she had a kid. And I wasn't going to do that to kid, you know? And I was like, wait a minute, I deserve better. I, even if I have nothing, it's better than this because it's, this, is, this is not investable. You know, it's sad. I mean, but her being getting pregnant was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Took the spell off in a way, right? Like, boom, just like that lifted the spell. Absolutely. What a relief. I mean, I met her. She was a beautiful woman physically and, you know, intelligent and articulate, really great, great person. Yeah. Wow. Now you're single, solo, heartbroken again, writing some more music or, or you're just not sorrowful at all. You're kind of like relieved and what? No, I mean, it's so many, you know, and even a lot of those feelings that I felt, I still feel now that was a wound that turned into a very visible scar that doesn't go away that that I have to look at every day, you know? So I just force myself every day, like, let's get through this day without talking to her, without feeling that this is, and then, you know, of course I, I was, 
dating people, but I was dating really at that point, sacrificial lambs, you know, just dating enough so I could just, I mean, I was dating nice women. I wasn't treating them like, but I wasn't. Rebound, I guess yeah. is the typical term on that, right? It's like some rebound relationships. Even though I wasn't talking to her and it had been years, I still had feelings for her, but I had to force myself not to, you know, it was like an addict. So that was like your first great love, would you say? Or I think that was my first, I call it fatal love, you know, the first addiction love, you know, first but it took many years, you know, and, and like I said, I think that I wasn't completely there until I probably met my, my wife because, you know, I've never tried to, in life, be with the same woman twice. When I met my wife, she was so many things that, like I didn't think that I was, I never thought about getting married until I met my wife, ever. And one of the things is about my wife is that she is the most loyal human being that I've ever met. And that was so attractive to me, this, just her, her loyalty to just me and just to her and to us, you know? She's, at times in the relationship, much more loyal than I am sometimes, you know, as far as like... Emotionally or yeah, just you know, mentally or... Yeah, exactly, yeah, you know, yeah. and, but, she, but she doesn't miss... You, you know her, she doesn't miss a beat. She's just loyal. And that was super attractive to you? That was super attractive to, to me. It was. I mean, it, more than attractive to me, it's what I needed to evolve to the next level of relationship. It's what it was like the next level. It wasn't even attractive to me. It was what I needed. Like, oh, okay, that's what happens when you graduate, and then you, you know, and then you, powerful, yeah, yeah. It was more like, yeah, this is the ceremony. This is my gold tassel, and you know, because once you graduate, you don't go back to high school. Yeah, you don't. It does. You're not trying to date in the high school. You're not. Yes, yeah, this, is, this isn't old school, right? We're not. <laughs> we're not Frank the Tank here. And so, yeah, you don't need to go take the classes. You don't need to go, you know, you, know, you don't need to hang out in the locker rooms. And So the sky parted a little bit here, right? There's a little bit of a sky parting with, you know, her and the, what was possible here. I guess that's kind of the thing. It's like you just saw a whole new world of possibility in relationship with Saw. Absolutely. And when I met my wife, in my version, I was the, the tiger and she was the antelope. You know what I'm saying? Because I, I, you know, but no, I remember we were talking it wasn't that long ago. You know, we've been married 10 years from like three weeks ago. It will be 10 years. It was 10 years, three weeks ago. And we were talking, you know, not so long ago. And I was thinking, yeah, I just got this woman, this Thai woman went to Thailand. And it didn't really happen that way. My wife saw me. Okay. <laughs> she story. saw me. Yeah. She was like, oh, little black man in a wheelchair. I want that. Right. And all our friends like, why do you want that? Right. I was hanging out. I was talking to another girl that I was, you know, getting friendly with. And my wife gets off work comes looks around the island and just pushes this girl out of the way like you know like she was like oh all right this is my you know you got chosen got chosen you know the girl that i was end up going to hook up with she ended up because i was going to, i was in thailand doing a doing a documentary film and so i was there as my producer uh, and i believe that girl and the producer are still together at that oh, point. Wow. yeah yeah well, that worked out they were just alone right i went with <laughs> they were just standing there like i guess now we're the stunt doubles of this movie you know so but yeah, they're still together. It was auspicious all around, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, something was in the water. Jeez. <laughs> got a decade in the making here. Yeah, when I got my wife, I got somebody else a girl too. Yeah, you know exactly. Two decade long relationships. Women for everybody, Bam. you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, when's your next documentary? <laughs> yeah. Wow, what a story. And what were some of the other you know characteristics that really kind of help, helped you guys become closer, more intimate, more evolved, you know, more graduated. Things that, that I, I love about my wife is that she is never sad. 
She's never sad. She's never depressed. And I'm not like one of those people that are just like, like preacher happy, you know, where they're just ha- happy because they got just the Lord in them, you know, and, and but going to get rested one day for something horrible. I mean, she's all just authentically a happy person. It's easy to, to invest in somebody that's, that's happy. Especially it's like the 180 from you, right? Because like, I mean, like, you, you've got a, you guys had to really compliment each other. So she's she's got emotions, of course, and is a you know you know a dynamically ranged woman. But like you're saying, she you know just her upbringing, her Buddhist beliefs, her her practices. She's pretty level headed. Very very level headed. Very she doesn't get emotional. She doesn't get you know. But yeah, I'm absolutely the opposite. Right. Exactly. Just to point that out a little, yeah. And it's really interesting because when, when in the relationship, and I think for the most part, it's for the better, I can get emotional and it doesn't affect her one bit. It's not even that she's trying for it not to affect her. It doesn't affect her. I can crazy go off and she's like, all right, now, are you hungry? You, you want sex? I can say as a, as a very strong, uh, you know, presenter of myself as a, a strong persona at times, right? Like I'm... I'm always afraid to offend somebody with being dramatic or being theatrical or, you know, like, you know, everybody's going to get turned off or, you know, and so it is nice when you can feel like you can push those theatrical boundaries with your emotional range and have the other person kind of look at you like, yeah, okay, what's next? (laughs) Just be a pillow for that, right? Just be a pillow for that. Except you're screaming in the pillow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's why I married my wife. Even like subliminally, you know, because these are things that I probably didn't think consciously, but things that I was like, you know, I never thought about ever marrying anybody until the day that I met my wife. When I met my wife, it was more of like, you know, not like like in the movies when you meet, and you know, it was more like, like, you know, like a quarterback in the height of his career and some defenses lineman falls on his leg and he sees the bone coming out through <laughs> yeah, that yeah. And, and, and he gets carted off and he's like, well, that's my career. That was a good run. Right. I'm not, you know. My career is over. It's only sports casting now because <laughs> this is, you know. What an image. And so, I mean, but I felt that's how, how I remember, you know, not in a bad way, like I was crying in my helmet, but I knew like, oh. This is it. Yeah. This is the, this is over. My this leg is coming life. out of my jersey. Oh, man. <laughs> you know? Like the one kind of thing, right? I hesitate to say it, but like you found the one and she, she found the one. They carted me off the field and I was in that one of those carts, you know, and I had to give them the fans a one big thumbs up, you know, <laughs> you ain't going to see me again. And, you know, it seems like it makes it so much easier to, you know, kind of, you know, go full all in on a relationship when you have that kind of realization in the beginning of it. You know, so often, you know, in the world of modern dating, I would say we take a long time to get to know each other and do we like each other and are we livable, you know, where there are these cases and where people just go, oh, this is on, like, this is on. By the, the time that me and my wife met, we were together there was no courting there was no nothing and i never really had that before you know you might have that with a one, one night stand but that's a one night stand not the person that i mean but we were together we were in a relationship i knew that i was going to marry her from the time that i you know and i wasn't looking for her i was just in thailand for a couple months doing a documentary film i knew that my acl was coming out of my leg you know what i'm saying and i knew i was never going to put on a jersey again i knew my career was over you know i knew that that one day in this stadium my penis would hang up like, like you know, the number, you know, the entire number. That's <laughs> you know? awesome and it's and it's been true. It's, I can't imagine a world before saw now, right? It's no, almost yeah, like no. it's a, such a wild, distant memory. I can't leave my wife because I 
couldn't tell you. <laughs> That's also true. Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, I <couldn't. laughs> no, I take a stand for you too. It's beautiful to witness it. And that's why I wanted to share it here on the show, share our conversation around your experience with love and loss and, and early till now. And uh, it's a happy story. I love it. Well, I think we're going to be doing more of these. I hope so. And uh, thank th you for having me. Thanks for being here, Jeffrey. Yeah, thank you for having me, Heath. All right. Till next time. All right. Ciao for now. Ciao. He makes messages. 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 Messages.